Jeremiah chapter 16. So is there anyone who wants to contribute tonight? Anyone want to share and give us a summary of what they've learned last week? Okay, so I will start from this side. Okay, let me start from this side then. So no one else from the back. Okay, so doctor number one, number two. They can tell me, did you raise your hand? Okay, num- number three, number four, number five. Okay, so five, five people. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, my contribution is taken mainly from the one mommy taught us last Tuesday. That's um, Jeremiah chapter 16. I just sort of give a quick summary 
verses 1 to 13 actually talk about God's judgment upon the Israelites because of their sin. They have sinned so much and God's judgment pronounced upon them was really terrible. Then verse 15 mentioned briefly about God's restoration. And verse 17 is where I'm going to. I'll just read that. It says, My eyes are, the Lord speaking, my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. The same thing applies to you and I today. So when we do things, God is watching us. No, don't know, Mama, be looking at you. But God is watching, looking at the intent, the motive, everything of the heart. Mama not be able to see your heart, but God, of course, sees everything. So when we go about doing our things on a day-by-day basis, we've got to be aware that the all-seeing eyes of God is watching over us. Um, just to buttress that point, if we look at um, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12, i just quickly read that. It says, before I go make my way there, 7 to 12 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even where your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is light to you. So, there's just nowhere we can hide from God's presence. So, God will be very conscious that God's eyes is watching over us. And just to, in conclusion, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it talks about the eyes of the Lord going all over the surface of the whole world to show himself strong in the behalf of them that, that have a perfect heart before God. I pray that prayer every day over my life. So, whatever we do, God is watching our intention, our motive, the intent of your heart. We've got to be ensure that all our attention, all our focus is on Christ. We are pressing like this morning, God just put a scripture that was in my heart all day long, that forgetting those things that are behind. Let us press toward the mark of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. That should be your motive, my motive, pressing on every day. So you can attain unto the, the mark of the high calling that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Um, I'm going to contribute from Jeremiah 16, um, verse 5. And this is something that just came to me whilst um, I was reading it. So verse 5 says, For this is what the Lord says, Do not enter a house where there's a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy, because I have withdrawn my blessing. My love and my pity from these people, declares the Lord. And this just reminds me of the story of um, Saul, whilst he was still king, and God rejected him completely and removed him and actually anointed David. And we can see that in First Samuel 16 verse 1, where it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn over Saul, saying I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? And this just makes me think that sometimes you might have an earthly position, or you might have a position in church, but the moment that we actually step away from grace, God has rejected us completely and has removed us from that position and actually put someone else in place of us. Um, 
And the same thing goes, obviously, the fact that you might have an earthly position, the fact that we might be in a particular position in church, we might have lost Evan's um, own, um, Evan's own validation already, whilst we're still thinking we're still in line with God. But if we go back to Jeremiah 15, from what we learned over the past um, the previous two weeks, regardless of where wherever we are in life, um, I think God is still a merciful God. And it says in Jeremiah 15 verse 9 that, Therefore, this is what the Lord says, If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you author worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let the people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. So it's not too late for us to return back to God, regardless of wherever we are in life. Um, and it doesn't matter where we start from. The, the, the key thing is that we focus on the finish line. And I wrote down five key factors. Um, and the first one is listen to God, godly advice. Um, sorry, listen to good advice, starting from Jesus Christ himself. Um, and that's Jesus Christ's teaching. Guard your lips and your heart from evil. Um, work hard and focus on the finishing line. So it's very, very easy for, for us to start from somewhere. But if we're not focused, it's very easy for us to just um, get distracted by things that are going right, left, and center. Um, love the truth and hate and hate evil. There's so much um, word going on around now, but it's essential that we actually focus on the word and judge every word by the scripture as well. But finally, the key thing um, that I, I always focus on is be a person of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let people actually know you for who you are and stand for it. God bless you. Praise the Lord. My prayer point is taken from, I mean, my contribution is taken from Jeremiah 16, verses 3 to 4, which reads, For this is what the Lord says about the sons and daughters born in this land, and the women who are their mothers, and the men who are their fathers. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. They will perish by sword and famine, and their dead bodies will become food for birds and the wild animals. And we all know of God's strange command for Jeremiah to never get married or have children. But not much is known about the reason why. And that was actually because God knew what was going to happen. Adam had been corrupted by Eve, Solomon by his sinful wives. And God knew that in a land with such sin all over the place, Jeremiah too was at risk of corruption. If God had to destroy the people of Israel, his just fairness would not allow him to leave Jeremiah unpunished, as God is not a respecter of man or his title. And at first, Jeremiah was skeptical because he knew that if he agreed to this command and refused to um, get married or have children, when he died, his name would also die. But he still did what God told him. And the funny thing is, there were many people in the land who did get married and have children. But all of those people died in exile. And in the end, 2,500 years after that command, we still read and teach about Jeremiah uh, even today. And Jeremiah's name never really did die out. So as I close, I would like to say that I don't know what each and every one of us is going through today, but I do know that there is certainly a God up there. And if we will only trust and obey, he will continue to look after us. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Uh, my taking is um, in line of what Dickiness Ajigini said in the beginning in terms of um, it, um, the Jeremiah 16 is about his life, his lifestyle, and the message to the Israelites um, from verse 1 to 13. It's a special instruction. So, um, and then also, this means that it's a sign of the impending doom coming upon Judah. And what it shows me is that when we know God, if there are things that are about to happen, God will always inform his children and he will direct our path. And God also is the one that will guide us and lead us. But I think what really stood out for me is Jeremiah 16:17 that says that my eyes on all the ways, they are not hidden from me, nor is there a sin concealed from my eyes. So which means anything we do, God do sees that. And in the book of um, Hebrew, 4.13 echoes that. It says, um, nothing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, lay bare before the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. So anything we do in life, let's all always remember that we are going to give an account, whether good or evil. So that's why we have to, whether we are in church, we are work in the community, let's always remember that we are representative of Christ in all our ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. So we've all contributed well. I'm not going to make reference to Jeremiah 16 because it would be like I'm repeating myself all what we have contributed. So we'll go straight to Jeremiah 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point. So we all know what Judah's sin was, the sin of idolatry. And the Bible says that they are seen are engraving, engraved with an iron tool. When I was reading this, it made, I remembered when the Ten Commandments were crafts on stones. And it was a craft on stones so that the Israelites would make reference to it and they would be able to know the laws of God at their fingertips and so that they would be able to guide their lives with those laws but here he said that judah's sin was engraving with an iron tool so in other words their hearts were so much defiled with idolatry that it is boldly written it's like they live and breathe it and not just that it says on the tablet of their hearts and on the horns of their altar so that even in, their, in, in where Judah was, if you go into Judah, idolatry is in every place. It is obvious. And it reminded me of when Apostle said he went to the land of Bene. And he says, Bene Republic, the land of Voodoo. So they were so much proud of their God to the extent that it is inscribed to the extent that most people know that yes this nation or this town is known for idol worshiping how much more we that we are serving the living god the bible says in the book of proverbs 3 3 it says let love and faithfulness never leave you but bind it on the tablet of your heart in other words god wants us to write his own laws if this judah if judah when we talk about Judah, we are talking about Judah as a nation, 
and Judah as a people. So if Judah can be so proud of their idolatry to the extent that it's so inscribed, even on stones, and when we go further, we'll find out that even their own children, they carry on in the same lifestyle. How much more we that we are serving the living God. Are we writing the laws on our heart? Today, we are not having the, the laws on our fingers tips like the children of Israel because they, in their own time, they do not have the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that no longer will a man teach another man, know your God, but you will know it because I will write my laws in your heart, on your heart. It's not about just having the Korah and reading the, the Korah, but now we have the Word of God in our heart. Well, how many of us are reading it? If we do not read it, if we do not study the word, the word will not go in our heart. The book of Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says that, Let this book of the Lord never depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. For the word of God to be written on your heart, you need to meditate. Meditation just means ponder. It means think. It means seller. Reason. So when you are having your siesta, what goes through your mind? Is it the word? As I am repeating myself, the last time I sat down here, I said if we are to test ourselves, some of us will read the word of God. But if the word of God is not registered in our heart, that means that we do not meditate on the word that we read this morning. And um, we are laying emphasis on, on it every time so that we will take the word of God so important. When you go home today, before you lay down to sleep, let the word of God be the last thing on your mind. It will change your dream forever. I'm talking from a point of experience. I never have any nightmare. And I know that most people who study the word of God and they study it real well, they will never suffer nightmare. Because if what is on your, on your mind the last time you go to bed is the horror movie, and I will not expect a child of God, to watch horror movie because you are watching horror movie with your angel. You are watching horror movie with your, the Holy Spirit. So you are making the Holy Spirit uncomfortable. You are grieving the Holy Spirit with that. So that's just for us to ponder upon. But in verse 2, it says, Even their children remember their altar and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. So like father, like son. Like mother, like daughter. Like parents, like children, what is the legacy we are leaving for our own children? If our children do not see daddy and mommy studying the word of God, praying all the time, then that will not be their own lifestyle. So what legacy are we leaving for our children? Is our legacy, oh, mommy and daddy just like to socialize all the time. They like to watch all these uh, Nollywood movies. And then those are the things that the children will grow up to, to be watching. So when we love the word of God, we are laying a foundation for our children to follow. Judah did not lay good foundation. Their forefathers did not lay good foundation. So the children after them also, they served the same God that their parents served. They too were bowing down before the Asherah poles. Verse 3. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will put away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your land. Sin will cost us the treasure or all the things that we are built of for life. If we sin, we will lose so many things. If we sin, the things that we treasure will no longer be ours. 
we will lose it as, as, as it was in the days of Judah. When they sinned against God, all the free wealth, all the treasures that God gave them, the land that is full of milk and honey, they were not able to enjoy it because at the end of the day, they were driven out of the land that God has given them. God brought them to the land of promise, and at the end of the day, because of their sin, they were driven out. They went into exile. So their enemies were the ones who occupied the land. So it is, when we turn our back against God, or we disobey God, or we sin, or we miss the mark, and we keep on sinning, despite the fact that God will bring many people to warn us because He loves us. When God corrects, it's because He loves. As we are here, God is ministry. So all this word is, does not apply to everybody. And that is why when you come in here, just pick the one that belongs to you and repent. Because God is the one speaking. And he's speaking to the person who is speaking as well. Because I'm not the one speaking, but the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. So sometimes the minister speaks and God is speaking through the minister to, to the minister himself. So it's like you are not pointing, as you are pointing one finger to one, the four other finger is pointing back to you. So it's God is speaking to every one of us. And it's because he loves us. That is why he corrects us daily. So the Israelites have an opportunity to repent. He sent them prophets. He sent them priests. But they refused to listen to the priests. God gave them so many warnings, true prophecy, true vision, true revelation, but they rejected it. And that is why they were taken into exile. And their land that was filled with milk and honey was occupied with, with people who are destroyers. And they destroyed that pleasant land of God. So we should not allow ourselves to go into exile and be taken as plunder. He said, because they were driven out of their nation or their country because of their sin. Verse 4. He said, through, through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. See? So we, have not, we, have, we do not have God to blame. We do not have the pastor to blame. Children do not have their parents to blame. You know, some children will say, but my mom and my dad, was not, they were not there for me. When I needed them most, they were not there for me. That is why I have to go and join crime. What about the ones that were not with them and they made up their mind that, look, my, even though my father and my mother are not there for me, I will make my life better. What about them? So we have no one to blame. Yes, Adam was able to blame Eve. But when it comes to God... We have no one. We are not, God is not going to put up with blaming party. Because at the end of the day, every one of us, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you will not have the opportunity to tell the Lord that the reason why I have not been able to fulfill what you have committed into my hands is because my pastor was not there for me, because my mother was not there for me, because my father was not there for me. So Israel, it was their own fault that they lost their inheritance. Because it's of their own free will that they went into sin. So nobody's, not going to, nobody's going to force anyone to commit sin. But you have your own, you have your choice to make. So in their own case, it is their own fault. He said, I will enslave you. So because of their sin, they went into slavery. Sin enslaves. When we sin against God, when we rebel against God, when we disobey God, we go into slavery. It enslaves us 
in the land you do not know. Imagine. These are children of promise, but they were enslaved in the lands that they don't know. They went to the Babylon. They went, the Assyrians take them over. The Midianans, you know, impoverished them. So, sin will make us to lose our inheritance. He said, I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. But we thank God that God is merciful. But we cannot take his mercy for granted. Sometimes God gets to a point that he will now turn his back against you after several warnings. It's not a one-off thing. But when God, God will always, his hands are open wide. His hands are open wide. When we cry unto him for mercy, he will have mercy. But before you get into that place, you would have gone through so many torture. Then why do you have to put yourself into unnecessary torture? Children who rebel against their children, or their, their parents, and they go after gangs. And they get themselves involved in drugs, get themselves involved in nightcrawls. After several warnings from their parents, if they refuse to, to repent, the police can arrest them. They will go into prison. The mercy of God will not stop you from going to prison. In prison, you can now ask God, have mercy. He will have mercy, but you will still go to that prison. You will still be tortured. So in order not to go through all that, why not just cooperate with God? Why not come to in agreement with God? God said, let us reason together. I think we have to have an opportunity for, we have to have that opportunity to reason with God, to cooperate with God, so that we will not expose our life to, to unnecessary danger. Verse 5 said, this is what the Lord says. Now, this is God speaking. Cause is the one who trusts in man. Mm-hmm. Who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. When you get home, just read Isaiah 31 because of time we may not turn there. Isaiah 31 1 to 3 where it says about who is the one that go to Egypt for help. So Psalm 62 verse 5 as well. Read that. Just to buttress that verse. Cause is every anyone. This one is not talking that you should not trust in your fellow brethren. But when you make your fellow brethren your all in all, or your, your sister or your brother your all in all, or your friend your all in all, to the extent that you do not have, you do not see God anymore, you just think that that your friend is the one who's going to make you. That your friend is the one who will bring you to that destiny, and you don't see God anymore. That's what God is saying. Cause is the one who do not make God his trust. Cause is the one who trusts a man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Mere flesh, because flesh, the Bible says that the life of a man is like a little vapor that appears for a short time, and after a while it vanishes. The only being who never die, that we have hope that we can consult him tomorrow, that he will be alive tomorrow, is God. As much as I love my husband, as, as much as my husband loves me, we cannot really put our all, you know, our all reliance because I may be no more. God forbid. We, we are seeking God for long life. But the 
the being that will trust, that we know will be for us anytime we call, is God. Is God. Is God. So we need to rely on God 100%. God doesn't want to share us with anybody. And that is why the Bible confirms that God is a jealous God. He doesn't want 99% of ourselves. He does not want 99.9% of ourselves. He wants the whole of us. 100% of us. And he wants us to put our trust in him. Whether things are going well or whether things are going bad. He doesn't want you to just trust him when things are not going well. He wants you to trust him at all times. He wants you to trust him at all times. I don't know what you are going through today. And maybe you are, you are just putting all effort to make sure that you please your boss. To the extent that he will give you odd hours to work in, the, in your expense to serving God. And you say, ah, I don't want to lose my job. Oh, I better work on Sunday. And then Sunday, Sunday, Sunday creep to the extent that you've totally lost fellowship with God. Because you have occupied your time working, working to please your boss. Trust in man. God wants us to trust him. And he says, cost is the man. We don't want to be cost. We want to be blessed. He said that person is now liking a person who put their trust in man or who put their trust in flesh. To a person, he said, it's a, like that person is like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes talking about unfruitfulness when someone put their trust in man that person will end up being unfruitful will become barren will become dry will become destitute become isolated to the extent that when god is now doing things they are not able to see because their trust is just in man their focus is in mere man so when god is doing things around them blessing making provision around them they are not able to see they are blind to the things of God. They are blind to the provision of God. They are blind to how God works. God is working in their life, but they cannot see it because they are focused in something else. They will not see prosperity when it comes. He said they will dwell in a patch place of the desert. The desert is a barren place. It's an unfruitful place. It's a dry place. It's a place where there is no life. Nothing flourish. So that person will be, will be experiencing unfruitfulness. Basically because their trust is not in the God who makes all provision. But their trust is in a man who one day will appear and the next no more. Verse 7 says, but bless. This is where we come in. Amen. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Is our confidence really in God? If our confidence is in God, we will not worry. If our confidence is in God, no matter the bad news that we hear, read the book of Psalm 112 when you get home, because it talks about our trust in God. It talks about our confidence in God. It says in the, and that book of Psalm that is, uh, is, is in common Psalm, Psalm 23. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil because your confidence is in the Lord. God wants our confidence to be in him. 
He wants us to confide in him, to rely on him, and to know him. If you know him, you will have confidence in him. So what you are going through today does not determine what your tomorrow will become. The Bible says, I look not, is it Paul who said, I look not on the things seen in Second Corinthians 4.18. I look not on the things seen because the things seen are temporary, but the things unseen are internal. The things unseen are internal. So God wants us to put our trust in him. He said, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And what was he like in that man? He said, they will be like a tree planted by the water. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sent out his root by the stream. So anyone who trusts in the Lord will always bear fruit. So compare that to the person who do not trust in God, but trust in man. They are unfruitful, but the one that trusts in the Lord will become fruitful. Because they will always eat fruit every day. Because their trust is not in man. Their reliance is not in man. Their hope is not in man. They depend, they depend solely on God. And because they depend on God, they trust that he is able to deliver. They trust that he is able to save. They trust that he is able to heal. So they are, circums- they are not basing their life on circumstance. Circumstance does not move them. But they are moved by the word of God. If you trust God, you will trust his word. If you trust God, you will not complain. If you trust God, you will not be grumbling. So if you trust God, you will have confidence in him. Regardless of anything that is thrown at you, you will know that God is what he said he is. So he... Will be like a tree. So anyone that you see that trusts God, you is, what the trait you can see in them is that they are fruitful all the time. In every season of their life, they are fruitful. They are bearing fruit. He said they sent out his root by the stream. It does not fear when it comes. So it will come. It represent challenges, troubles, trials. Trials will happen to everybody as long as you are flesh and blood, as long as you are breathing. The only being, the only set of people who can escape from trials are those who are dead already. They are in the grave. But as long as you are alive, there will always be trials. But the confidence that you have is that your trust will be in the Lord. Your, your, your trial will not kill you. Rather, it will make you strong. Your trial will not drown you. Rather, you will float and swim. Because the Bible says when you go through the waters, the waters will not drown you. When you go through the fire, it will not burn you. So we, if all the heroes of faith have gone through trials and we've seen how they came out of it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, they are one of, they are a lot of them. Abraham, a lot of them. Every one of them that you know that they are men and women of faith, they went through trials and they came out of it. Every one of us will go through trials. But in our trial, God wants us to trust Him. In our, in the time, in our season of plenty and prosperity and, and things are rosy, He wants us to trust Him still. So we don't only run to God when we are in trouble. We run to God when we are trouble-free and when we are in trouble. He's just our solace. He's just our everything. And when we do that, we will bear fruit. So it does not fear. 
He does not fear. He doesn't say, that, oh, am I going to survive this? Oh, I cannot go through this. He doesn't fear. But he's bold. He's courageous. He's confident when he comes. His leaves will always be green. So he will flourish all the time. He has no worries in the years of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So it's still saying the same thing. So anyone who has confidence in the Lord, who has confidence in the world, in his promises, you will not have any worries. You will not have any stress. You will not be anxious. The Bible says we should not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we should make our requests known unto God. And he said, the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, you, anyone who has confidence in the Lord will have no worries. They will be worry-free. The, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So, we you know, a heart is talking about a heart without the Holy Spirit. A heart without the Holy Spirit is deceitful. Or desperately wicked but when you have a heart that is generated regenerated in christ when you have accepted jesus as your lord and savior your heart can never be wicked your heart can never be deceitful a heart that is deceitful is a heart without christ so that is why we need to make sure that we go out there and minister the gospel to many in verse 10, say, I, the Lord, searches the heart. We've come across this in all the previous chapters in the book of Jeremiah. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks straight into the heart. And First Chronicles 28, that we normally read, verse 9. My son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve God with wholehearted devotion. And he said, God searches the heart and he understands the motive behind every thought. So God looks into our heart. God takes a picture of every heart. As we are sitting down here, he knows what is in your heart. He knows what you are thinking right now. He knows the motive behind your coming tonight. He knows the motive behind your service. He knows. So there is nothing hidden. We read it in that book of uh, the previous chapter that we read. 16 verse 17. He knows nothing is hidden before him. So he searched the heart. And it's when he searched the heart, he rewards you according to the content of your heart. And he examined your mind. He said to reward every person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. That is why when we come anywhere you find yourself, just be yourself. We can deceive one another, but we cannot deceive God. Be yourself. In your workplace, be yourself. Don't try to put on another identity. It doesn't work it. It doesn't work it having two identities. Leaving one identity in church and then another identity at work, another identity in school. There's no point. Let them know who you are. They may not understand you, but just let them know that you are a Christian. It pays. I tell you, it pays. Living a double standard life will be a burden on your own self. You will be a burden on yourself. And God will not be able to recognize you because you are having two images before him. He knows you. He knows, the, he knows the, the type of personality has created in you. So why put, putting on a, another personality? Just be yourself. And God admires people who are their, themselves. 
If you are an angry person, tell, let God know that you are angry and ask God for help. Don't try to play gentle when you know that you are not. When you know, God wants, us, wants to identify us in our weaknesses. But it's in our weaknesses that his strength is made perfect. When you tell the Lord, Lord, I am an angry person. And he knows that you are angry. You are full of anger. He will tell, and you say, God, I want to change. Break me. Deliver me from this. And I don't want it. He will deliver you. But try to pretend, um, pretend to be who you are not. It's not a good thing before God. God. God treats such a person as a deceitful person. So God rewards us according to our conduct and according to our deeds. He will reward us. So let's try to be ourselves. Let's not try to be somebody else. Let's not pretend to be who we are not. Let's just be ourselves. And anything that you recognize in yourself that you know that, yes, this is not the likeness of Christ. Lord, and you begin to pray. That becomes your prayer point until you become what God wants you to become. Like a partridge that hatched eggs, it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. Now, these are the sort of birds that like to get other people's egg and sit on it and hatch it. And after it's hatched, it thought that it's a children, where he knew that it's not the children. The children will grow up with it, but they will recognize at the end of the, uh, of the season that uh, this is not our mother. And they will depart and then go and find their own mother. So it is. He's liking it. He said, are those who gain riches by unjust means. Are we gaining riches by unjust means? Are we gaining riches by unjust means? Credit card fraud should not be the, the lifestyle of a believer. It's an insult before God. If you are gaining wealth that you have not worked for, God wants us to labor. If you haven't got a trade, go and learn. Apostle is a living example. In his 60s, he's still going to school. Instead of you to go and be stealing stuff and being on drugs, you just want a microwave wealth. And at the end of the day, you do not live to enjoy it. Because at the end of the day, this country is so much advanced that they will catch up with you. No hiding place. And then the person will end up where they are not supposed to be. And then the wealth that you have accumulated... You are not there to enjoy it. Let's labor. God wants us to work with our hands. He wants us to work hard. In all hard work, there is profit. That's what the Bible says. So you want profit. You want just profit. Sincere profit. Pure profit. Then work for it. Get a skill. There are so many courses in, that you can do. Even if you can't go that length, maybe three years course. There are some short courses. Plumbing is there. Electrician is there. Three months. Go and learn the trade and get the skill and, and work with it and get your just money. So that at least when you hear a knock on your door, you, you are not having a high blood pressure all of a sudden. Or heart attack. Or palpitation. Because you are thinking, oh, somebody must be after me. Or you are walking on the streets and the police are passing and like you, are, you almost crashed a car if you are driving. Let's live a life of peace. 
Anyone who gather money through unjust means cannot enjoy it. You cannot enjoy it. And you cannot go scot-free with it. He said, when their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them. That's exactly what I said. And in the end, they will prove to be fools. So you think that you are wise. Oh, these people are just working. And, okay, they are just, uh, they, they are wasting their time. When I can get millions within a few, few, few hours. At the end of the day, the wisdom will be turned to foolishness. Because the person, you, that you are enjoying for a, for a moment, then when the time comes, you will now be put to shame. I pray the Lord will not allow us to be put to shame. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning. That is the throne that we belong to. It is the place of our sanctuary. Jesus is our sanctuary. God is our sanctuary. And his throne is forever exalted. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. So anyone who forsake God will be put to shame. Anyone who reject the Lord will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they are forsaking the Lord, the spring of living water. And that reminded us the sin, the two sins that Judah or the Israelites committed, which was in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. What are the sin? Sin. Yeah. And they forsake the Lord who is their springs of living water. So, Jesus is the living water that we cannot do without. Can you imagine a life without water? How dehydrated they will be? You cannot live without water. And Jesus is that life, is that life that flows through us. If we reject him, we have rejected life. That means that we are dead, even though we are living. Heal me. So, this is now Jeremiah's prayer. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me. And I will be saved. This was a man of prayer. Because he knew all the atrocities and all the, and God's judgment that is coming upon the land and is coming upon the people. And now he himself is being affected by it in one way or the other. But he didn't cut himself off and say, well, I'm righteous. It's only the people that are under judgment. He knew because whatever affects the land will affect you. Whatever affects your children will affect you. Whatever affects any one of us in this house, because we are families, whatever affects any one of us will affect everybody in one way or the other. It will be because you are, we are one family. So here is this man. He was, this man was praying. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. Who are we praising today? Who are we praising today? God wants us to praise him. God wants us to praise him. They, they, they keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. This was a prophet who sent the word of God to Israel, but they are making mockery of the word. Yeah, you said this is going to happen. When is it going to happen? And that reminded us in the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 4. If you, read, you can write that down. When the people were asking, where is the sign of his coming? Jesus, they kept on saying that Jesus will come. Oh, generation come, generation pass, generation go. Jesus has not come. When is he going to come? And even up to this generation, people are still saying the same thing. Oh, we go to church and they keep on saying Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. When will Jesus come? Maybe it's not even coming after all. 
Jesus will come. Jesus will come. So that's an encouragement to each one of us. Sometimes we preach to our fellow brethren or to our family members, and it's like, I'm still better than you anyway. You keep on saying, uh, Jesus is for me, and you keep on quoting scriptures. We have not even seen the fulfillment. But one day, one day, God is going to fulfill his promise. So it happened in Jeremiah's time too. That the people of Israel were saying, when is this word going to be fulfilled? And the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 12, when it said that my word will not be delayed any longer. You know, we always quote that scripture when we want to pray for any prolonged promises of God that we want it to be fulfilled. But when you read that scripture, it's actually talking about judgment. When you read the whole of that scripture, it's talking about judgment. That my word will no longer be delayed. Yes, I said I'm going to recompense evil. But this evil will surely come to pass. It will not be delayed. It will not be delayed. So when God speaks, he has the time in his, in his hands. The Bible says my times are in my hands. So he has the timing in his hands. And he doesn't have to tell myself or yourself when he's going to fulfill the promise. He will surely do. Our own is just to walk in faith and walk by faith and just trust him. So I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired a day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. He said, I have not run away from being your shepherd. He knew his calling. He was called to be a prophet over the nation. What are you called to do? Apostle have been teaching us about purpose, knowing our purpose. Your purpose in your life, in, your, in, this, in this household of faith, your purpose in life. What has God called you? And are you still fulfilling that calling? Or are you like Jonah who ran away from his calling for a while until he came back to his senses and be, <laughs> after being... Being swallowed by the fish. You don't have to be. You don't have to wait to be swallowed by the fish before you can fulfill God's calling. But we thank God for this man. Despite all the persecution that he's been through, he still stood by his calling, and he said to God, "I have not run away from being my your shepherd. What has God called you to do? Are you faithful in your calling? And if you've not found out what your calling is, that's an opportunity for you to ask God and seek God until you are able to know." But you've not run away from your calling. God wants us to be faithful in our calling. If in this house you are being, you are given a, a, a role to play in different departments, in the choir, the Sunday school, teaching, and all that stuff, and all the all the workforce in the house, are you faithful in that, or because of somebody's offense? You ran away and said, oh, I'm going to join another that department. Or I want to take a break. That is another common statement. I want to take a break. I'm just taking a break. I just want to seek the Lord. When you know in your heart it's because of offense, that is why you want to just relax for a while. In your time of relaxation, what if Jesus comes? What if Jesus is actually testing you? 
but you have found yourself unfaithful in that. So I really want us to be able to say like Jeremiah, I have not run away from being what you have called me to be. He said, you know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. So what goes through his mind and what comes out of his mouth, God knows it. So that's why this man is cautious of what comes out of his mouth. So before we utter anything, the Bible always, what normally cautions me is the scripture in the book of Proverbs that says that a righteous man will think of what to say before he says it. So a righteous man doesn't just open and close his mouth anyhow. He thinks before he speaks. Oh, how will this sound? Who will this offend? Will my word build or will my words destroy? So what passes my lips is before you. So what passes my mind, my thoughts, my being, my heart is before you. So let God, let God be the watchman of your, of your, of your words. The book of Psalms says that. Set a guard upon the door of my lips. Let the words of my mouth, the book of Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So before we speak, let's talk to God. Let those words, you know, channel through God before we say it, like Jeremiah. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. God says he will be a terror to those who terrorize us, not to us. So God should not be a terror to us. If God be a terror to his own, that's terrible. (laughs) No one can stand the terror of God. So we don't want God to be a terror to us. I think this must be a prayer that we should pray. But we we will not have to pray this prayer if we are in the very center of God's will. And we are cautious of that and we examine ourselves on a daily basis. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. You are our forever refuge, whether disaster or in the time of peace. God is our refuge. God is our hiding place. It is in God that we find protection. It is in God that we find refuge. It is in God that we find solace. Say, let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. We don't have to pray this prayer. Hmm? Because the Bible says that we should pray for those who persecute us. We, should, we don't have to pray for our enemies to be put to shame. My enemies be put to shame. We don't need to do that because we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Bible says we should pray for our enemies. That Jesus said that. In the Old Testament, it's allowed. In the time of Jeremiah, it was allowed because he hasn't received the Holy Spirit at that time. Jesus has not come at that time. But we have Jesus now. And Jesus himself was the one who said, it is his own words that tells us that we should pray for our enemies. And those who despitefully use us, we should pray for them. So that should not be our own prayer that our persecutors should be put to shame. So let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. That should not be our own prayer for our enemies. Because when we pray for our enemies, God avenge. He said, vengeance is mine. 
I will repay. Amen. Swiftly. And go swiftly because of time. Keeping the Sabbath day holy. When you get home, you can read the book of Isaiah 56, 2 to 8 in conjunction with that. talks about the Sabbath day. This is what the Lord says to me. Go and stand at the gates of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem. So he's referring to the kings, which signify the leaders, the authority, and all the people of the land. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all people of Judah, and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. Talking about the gates. Talking about the gate of the temple. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day. Or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. What does that remind you of? Sorry? Nehemiah. Nehemiah said that in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. If you read that, he was talking about the Sabbath day. How he warned those traders not to come in, not to bring any load. They should not even, you know, create a tent on the Sabbath day. Because he wants that day to be consecrated as the law stipulated so this is what the lord the lord says be careful not to carry a load on the sabbath day our own sabbath day is sunday sabbath day yes if you go historically it is a saturday but we christians have agreed that we will come on a sunday to make it god's rest on the on the day of god's rest on the day of our rest and it's the day that god rested so or bring it through the gate of Jerusalem. So we are not meant to bring trades into the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is a place where God dwells. Buying and selling is prohibited in the house of God. If you have your business, take it to your house. It should not even be outside. I know some people will take it outside the church. It should not be within the vicinity of the church. If you need to sell things to one another, you can invite them home. Or you take it to their home. But in the church sanctuary, remember how Jesus drove out everyone that was buying and selling? And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So we cannot afford to treat God's house with contempt. There is a danger to it. And we'll come across it as we go on. So all goods, merchandise and all that should be done in your house or in your shop. Not in the house of God. Do not bring a load out of your houses. And that was exactly what Nehemiah told the people. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath day. God have mercy. Some of us work on Saturday or on Sunday. There are some jobs that you cannot do without. Like those in the medicals. Because there will always be treatment on Saturday. Or on Sunday. There will always be people given birth on Sunday. There are some jobs, some occupations that you cannot do without. It has to be done on a Sunday as well. But there are some that you don't have to. But God says, He says here that do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath day. I know that some of us break these rules. God will help us. But keep the Sabbath day holy. As I commanded your ancestors. The Sabbath day should be a day that we focus on the Lord. Sabbath day should be a day that we just want to 
have rest and meditate on God's word and do what pleases the Lord. If you read the book of Isaiah 56 that I told you to read, it will give you much understanding. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. You know, the Jews still keep the Sabbath day up till now. Those of us who went to Israel, we knew what happened on Saturday. The food that we ate in the hotel. Oh, my word. It was not compared to any other day because they don't want to cook. So we just have to manage the food that they gave us. And the road was so quiet. It's amazing. And that is why God was blessing them, because this was a law that has been given to them long time, generations, and they are still keeping it up till now. Up till now. It pays to obey God. It pays to listen and pay attention. So, these, the children of Israel at this time, they were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you, careful to, if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it. You see, what are the benefits? What is the blessing and what is the reward? Then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. If, can you imagine if we obey God? It brings influx of souls from the high, from the low. And they will not come alone. They will come with their riches. They will come with their skills. They will come with every resources that God blessed them with. The, the house of God will be full. So we need to keep the, we need to obey this. We need to obey by not disintegrating the, the by not defiling the temple of the Lord. He said, they and their officials will be riding, okay? People will come, verse 26, people will come from the town of Judah and the villages around Jerusalem, from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothill, from the hill country and the Negev, bringing bond offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, and bringing thanksgiving to the house of God. So you will see men and women who are hungry for God, who will trip in into the house of God. Men are women that love God with all their hearts. Men are women that will serve God, you know, with a pure conscience, and they will love God by bringing thanksgiving unto God. So you will see men and women that are totally sold out for the gospel that will begin to come to the house of God if we obey and we consecrate the Sabbath day. But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy, by not carrying any loads as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume our fortresses. We do not want the anger of God to burn. We do not want judgments of God. We want the mercy of God. We want the blessing of God. We want the grace and the goodness of God. But we need to obey so what we have learned is in two folds. We learned about what the Israelites did, how they have engraved, uh, engraven idols 
on stones to the extent that they now pass that legacy on to their children. We learned about how Jeremiah prayed to the Lord. How Jeremiah did not neglect his call. How Jeremiah was mindful of God that he is mindful of the fact that everything that goes through his mouth must go through God first. And we learned through, we learned about the Sabbath day. How we need to hallow the Sabbath day. How we need to hallow the house of the Lord. How we need to reverence his presence and reverence God himself. And how we need to listen and pay attention to him. And I pray that the Lord will enable us and empower us to be conscious of this. And to live a life of total obedience. So that the blessing that God ordains for his people will be freely given to us. Amen? Amen. Shall we rise to our feet as we bring this session to a close?